0: Back in 1989, remember that date, 1989, there was a congressman from California by the name of William Dannemeyer. He wrote a book that year, during that year, a book was published that he wrote predicting some things are going to happen in the future. And the book title was Shadow in the Land, Shadow in the Land. Remember, again, that was in the 80s. I keep saying this because here we are in the 21st century, and much of what Congressman Donner has said back then is coming to pass in that book, Shadow in the Land. When I read that book back then, (laughs) those many years ago, I remember saying, oh, Lord, I sure hope not. But, as every one of us will agree, some of the things he said... These predictions he made in 1989 are coming to pass. Here's what he said on pages 85 and 86 of his book. Teachers will have to be hired with an eye towards sexual orientation, making certain to provide potential homosexual youth with role models. I remember this was in the 80s. And then he continued. There will be homosexual clubs in every school, as they're already in L.A., and that's where he was from. Even church schools who receive government money will be forced to subsidize homosexual activities on campus, which is already happening in Georgetown University. This is a prediction by a man, a secular man, that had come to pass. Two thousand years ago, the Apostle Paul prophesied of what will happen immediately before the return of Christ in the last days. Those of you who are following in this series of messages will remember how at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, we literally see the Apostle Paul right before our eyes makes an extremely sharp turn. You can actually call it a U-turn, but it's a sharp turn. From what he was saying to Timothy in the first two chapters and to what he's saying here in this third chapter. In the first two chapters to Timothy, who was pastoring the church in Ephesus, as he's speaking to all of the future leaders of the church of Jesus Christ, and he's telling about what's going on right now at that moment in history, where they are, and to make this sharp turn and says, in the last days. And here he makes a prophetic word, a prophetic instruction about what will happen in those last days. In the Scripture, generally speaking, the last days represented any time from the first coming of Christ to His second coming. That was always called the last days. But 2,000 years into it, we certainly are much closer to the second coming than we have ever been before. And those characteristics that he describes here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 9 have no doubt existed in the time of the Apostle Paul in the first century. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. We're going to see these dreadful days, these dreadful characteristics to be on the increase, to grow in intensity, to experience it almost on a daily basis. In fact, the best description and the best understanding of this it comes from the lips of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. The Lord Jesus Christ said, of course, there's always been earthquakes, and there's always been wars, there's always been these environmental catastrophes, always. But the Lord Jesus Christ explained to us that in the last days, all of these things are going to increase in frequency. And Jesus said, it's like a, a woman in a childbirth. As the labor pains intensify, as the labor pains become more frequent, you know that the baby is about to be born. Those are the words of Jesus. And that means that baby birth, he's referring to his return, to his second coming. And what we are seeing today is that evil has been so intensified, far more deeply entrenched all across the globe, not just in America, Uh, what we are seeing today is that evil now being accepted and glorified. What we're seeing today is more than any other time. It's not just small pockets of rebellion here and there, but what we are seeing now is that the whole world is in turmoil. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. But he did not say that his people will be free from spiritual danger or even harm. On the contrary, he said, Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. A friend of mine in Australia used to say, Yes, wolves come in sheep's clothing, but of late they've taken their clothes off. At least we know that there are wolves And so in verse 1 of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, as I said, takes a sharp turn by the word but. It's a conjunction. But. And it indicates literally a change of direction from the current situation to what is coming toward the end of time. Paul said, realize this, or understand this, or don't be surprised about this, or this will come to pass for certain. In other words, don't let that stuff melt your heart when you see it. In fact, there is a deeper meaning for the word that he uses here. It is used when somebody is surrounded by wild beasts or raging sea. It gives the idea of a fierce situation— And certainly we're seeing a fierce situation right now. It gives the idea of a situation it's so hard to cope with. And that is why I want to tell you at the outset, no matter how hard these days may be, no matter how trying those times may become, no matter how challenging the situation is, God was, is, and always be on His throne. God was and is and always will be for His people, that God was, is, and always will be ready to give us victory in the midst of trouble. This is not a time for our hearts to melt. It is not time to begin to say, "'Things are getting hard. I better watch what I'm saying.'" This is not a time for us to do that. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ and to rise up and be the army of the living God. In verses 2 to 9, Paul gives us a sketch. It's a portrait of these people who will, trouble, who will trouble not only us, but all the believers. They will trouble the believers. I want to summarize them in three ways so to help you understand. First of all, he says about these people, he talks about their moral conduct, their moral conduct. And secondly, he talks about their religious zeal. Yeah, oh yeah, they all have religious zeal. And thirdly, he talks about their militant fanaticism. In three verses, short three verses, the Apostle Paul gives us 19 characteristics, <laughs> 19 expressions— by which he describes the wickedness of the people who are responsible for causing us pain or causing us heartache. The first and the last is almost like the two bookends. <laughs> the first and the last summarize what's inside those 19 characteristics. First is the love of self is going to be so obvious, It's going to be so prominent, it's going to be so explosive. And the last is that they're not lovers of God. And everything is in between, 17 other characteristics. In fact, four out of the 19 descriptions uses the word love. Oh, but it is a misplaced love. It's misplaced love. I have heard more talk about love in the last few years than all of my life and past life combined— And yet, it is almost always misdirected love. It's almost always selfish love. It's almost always indulgent love. It's almost always perverted love. Love of self, love of money, love of indulgence. Then, the other 15 descriptions of what is happening in our society today. We see it happening today. The breakdown of relationships between people. Himirat, please. Those who love themselves so much become proud and arrogant and abusive. The next five descriptions are seen in many a home in the world outside of the believing people of God, seeing children disobedience to their parents instead of respect to their parents. As the Bible commands. Now, can I have a word with the young people? Listen, a couple of minutes, that's all. The first thing you need to know, that none of us parents, including your parents, are perfect. I did not have perfect parents, and I was not a perfect parent. So, you got that? You need to get that straight. (laughs) Your parents are not perfect. Your parents, like me are not always right. But they are your leaders under God. You do not have to agree with them. You don't have to agree with every decision they make. You don't have to analyze every decision they make. And you do not have to contradict every statement they make. (laughs) But God said, I didn't say it. God said, Obey your parents, for that is right. That's what he said. Period. (laughs) He did not say, They are always right. No, no, no. But your obedience is always right. Unless you are in a situation of what we see on television or read in the papers, where dreadful, twisted parents who want their kids to do wrong things and sin, then you say, God has to come first and has to be obeyed first. God said, honor your father and mother and do it now, lest the time come and you regret it. Not only disobedience is going to be so prevalent toward the end of time, but also ungratefulness. Ungratefulness. My goodness gracious. They will be devoid of appreciation. The world owes me something. The government owes me something. Oh, my goodness, look at the politicians are running for office. I mean, they think we owed everything. (laughs) I am told that in many a godless home, you find teenagers who think that their parents owes them a perpetual good time. A brand new car, unlimited allowance, Ivy League education, plus perks. (laughs) And God forbid if the kids ever get bored at home. Listen, I've discovered the cure for boredom. Here's how it goes. And I'll tell the the bored children, before you want to straighten out the world, why not start by straightening out your bed? (laughs) And then straighten out your room. And when you finish that, if you're still bored, you can wash the dishes by hand. Iron the clothes. And if you're still bored, cut the grass. And the greatest habit that you can develop is the habit of gratitude and thankfulness to your parents. Be thankful for what your parents do for you and give to you, and don't take them for granted. Paul said, the one thing that will help us realize that we're living in the last days, is when you see children devoid of moral affection. I know that's not the case in Christian homes, certainly the homes that I know in this church. Love, affection, gratitude, respect often characterize the good and godly families that I know in this church. But what you need to know And what you need to do is to remind our children that is not always the case in other homes. (laughs) And while they come across situations in school and sports where the things are very different, they need to help them. They need to share the light of Christ with them. The remaining words here in this catalog go beyond the family. They go to the culture at large. They go beyond children. Oh, parents, it goes for the whole society, and it is backbiting and scandal-mongering and lack of self-control. We are seeing in the media, night after night after night, these characteristics that stems from backbiting and mongering— really is just when you think about the scandal-mongering and the love for scandal and lying outright lying, there are cable news networks that are dedicated to backbiting and scandal-mongering. I want to mention names. Night after night, gossip, backbiting, scandals, The words jump out of the pages here because an increase in the backbiting, an increase in scandal-mongering results from absence of restraint. They result from absence of moral decency and the absence of the truth. And my beloved friends, I can tell you, I know you'll agree with me, that no amount of legislation, no amount of knowledge, no amount of education, no amount of indignation is going to cure this. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to change our culture. Yeah. Their moral conduct. Secondly, in verse 5, he talks about the religious zeal. <laughs> they pursue their immorality with religious zeal. It might come as a shock to some of you that these people Paul describing here have religious zeal. (laughs) In fact, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets thundered against false religion, religion that is devoid of morality. Amos, who was in the north in Israel, and the prophet Isaiah, who was in the south, in Judah, in Israel itself, during the reign of Jeroboam II, there was a boom in religion, in religious activities. But there was utter collapse in morality. In Amos 2.8, we are told that immorality had invaded the Jewish religion, the Jewish believers. The prophet Isaiah deplores the same thing in Judah, in the south. He told us how God feels about that empty religion. Here's what he said. God is saying, when you spread forth your hands, I hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen, says the Lord. Beloved, this is a religion of self. This is a religion of self-serving. This is the worship of the environment, and the worship of immorality. This is the religion of self-indulgence. I personally will never forget that day in end of January 2011. I was invited for an extended period of time. That was during the Arab Spring and the Arab uprising, and I was there to be for three hours. I'll never forget, during one of the commercials, I said to the anchor man whom I have never met before in my life. He said, why don't you come and visit our church? Because this global network happened to be in Atlanta, Georgia. I said, why don't you come and visit our church sometime? He yelled at me, and I'm telling you, he yelled that some of the people standing around turned around. He said, no! I must admit, I really was taken back. But all I could say is, why? Here's what he said. Because you're going to tell me I'm going to hell. How does this guy know me? I just met him. (laughs) And so I got to a church that tells me there is no hell. I was stunned to say the least. As I said, I just met the man. The producer just introduced us ten minutes before the we went on air. But I was mistaken. He knew everything about me and my biblical stands. But that's okay. I'm not embarrassed about that. I thank God for that. I don't know what church he was going to, but let me tell you something. I have learned ever since that there are many churches that are just like that, and they're growing in number. Matthew 23:25, Jesus said, you cleanse the outside of the cup, but the inside is filled with all sorts of indulgence. The one thing that will be so highlighted in the last days, according to the Word of God, that there will be outward religion, but no power in that religion. Or they will go to a church, or they will go through a liturgy, or will they drop a couple of bucks in the plate, but they will not be or have any power. It is outward show. It's a, a religion in form only, no power. It's an outward show without inward reality. It's a religion without moral demands. It is an impression without confession. Hear me right, please, please, beloved, hear me right. True faith combines form and power. True faith combines. Spiritual worship and godly living. True faith talks the talk but also walks the walk. True faith helps the suffering sinners how and where to go to get forgiveness and healing and relief and hope for the future. Religion without moral conduct is a dead religion. Religious zeal without Christ is a misguided zeal, to say the least. Which leads me to the third characteristic of their fanaticism. Fanaticism. Militant fanaticism. We're seeing it now. These godless lovers of self not only profess a religion at a very superficial level and an outward level but they want to ram this kind of immorality down the throats of everybody else. Listen to me. They are on a mission. They want every church to conform to their militant fanaticism. They are hostile toward biblical morality. They would assail anyone who disagrees with them. So much for tolerance, huh? (laughs) They accuse those who uphold biblical morality as unloving. They are forever conniving and scheming as to how they're going to invade and silence Bible-believing Christians. You have to think Paul was writing for today. Verse 6, he talks about how they take advantage of weak women, but I dare say weak men as well. (laughs) For those same people, they despise motherhood. They belittle godly women. They play on hurtful past instead of healing from it. They paint a bleak picture that all men are evil. They manipulate emotions. They dominate minds, and they intimidate the unsuspecting. Recently, I was on national television discussing a new study which showed that 50% of pastors in America are afraid to preach on biblical morality. They call it controversial subjects. Why is that? Ah, because those fanatics, those militant fanaticism, who want religion without biblical morality, they have succeeded in intimidating these pastors. It's heartbreaking, to say the least. And when I use the word heartbreaking, I don't mean it lightly, and I don't take it lightly, because when I say that, my personal heart is broken. One of those religious fanatics wrote a book entitled Unholy Rage. In it, she said, about their movement, so-called progressive movement in the church. She said, our movement is nothing less than the overthrow of Christianity as we know it. But at least I tipped my hat to her for her honesty. Most of the others kind of speak from both sides of their mouths. They double talk. At least she was honest about it. But the truth, my beloved friend… The truth is they want to destroy biblical Christianity as we know it, and they're succeeding in some circles. And Paul is saying those people are weak in character. These people are misled by deception. Those people play upon false guilt. Look at verse 8. Those salespeople of deception are like Janus and Jambres. Who are Janus and Jambres? Well, they're the two magic- pharaoh's magicians who, when Moses performed miracles and the stick became a snake and so forth, they, through black magic, imitated Moses' miracles. Now, they're not mentioned in the book of Exodus, but they are mentioned in the Jewish literature in the Jewish writings. And what Paul is saying is this, that these false teachers in the churches who are opposing the truth— are like these two Egyptian magicians. They're using black magic. Moses taught the law. Paul preached the gospel. Both preached God's truth for their generations at their time. And therefore, those who reject the infallible Word of God, both Old and New Testament, are preaching black magic. But here's what I want to tell you. As your brother in Christ— and I want to say to you, do not be afraid or intimidated by those backdoor religious traders. Even if the few weak ones have been taken by them, even if their falsehood becomes fashionable, even if their anti biblical teaching is accepted by society. We must stand firm. And never, never, never what? Never give up on biblical truth. Never give up. Thank God there is good news. Now, listen, if you think this is hard to hear, it's much more difficult to prepare. But the good news is the last verse in this section. Thank God for the good news. Thank God that the gospel is good news. Thank God that Jesus is the good news. The last verse, verse 9, the good news, but they will not, say that with me, they will not get very far, because as the case of those two men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Remember Jesus said the world is a field in which His seed, that's the gospel, is being planted, wheat, But he also said, Satan is coming right behind us as we sow the seed of the gospel. He comes right behind us, and he sows the weeds in the middle of the wheat. Right there, in the middle, in many a church, many so-called evangelical churches. And, beloved, we're seeing Satan right now with his seed, his weeds, (laughs) in the middle of the church, sowing it, lots of it. And Paul is saying to us, who will go through these experiences. Don't be intimidated. Don't be infected. Don't let the weeds cover your wheat. Don't get carried away with the flood. But stand and uphold the truth boldly against the prevailing tide of culture. Why? Why is saying that? Because soon and very soon, you and I are going to be caught up in the air and meet Jesus in the air. Soon and very soon, we will hear the shout of the archangel. Soon and very soon, we're going to hear the trumpet sound. Soon and very soon, we will see the judge sitting on the judge's bench. Soon and very soon. We will see Him appear in His glory. Soon and very soon, we shall reign and rule with Him. Soon and very soon, He will come to take His faithful ones home, and He shall wipe away all of our tears. Soon and very soon, we will be with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. How many evers? And ever and ever and ever. ever. The question is, Will you be there? Father, Martin Luther said those many years ago, let the word do it. And Father, we know that if the word and the Holy Spirit who author those words do not do it, we cannot do it. I certainly cannot do it. And so I pray in the name of Jesus, let your word take its hold in the hearts and the minds and the wills of your people so that they may stand up and stand out and never, never, never give up. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.